the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Praise to the God who reigns above. Well, by this time in Luke 24, Christ is risen. He is. He's, he's alive. He's risen. And, and the women on Jesus' ministry team, they believe. John believes. We saw that last week. But the rest of the disciples don't. Even though Peter returns, having seen the empty tomb, most of them don't believe. Most are still dealing with the pain of disappointment and loss. Thankfully, the day isn't over yet. And I would ask you this morning, have you, I think most of us have, but have you ever experienced the pain of disappointment or the pain of loss? It can be hard when that happens to you to find hope again. And so as Jesus restores the hope of two disciples who are traveling towards Emmaus this morning, you know, may we understand how we can find hope again too. So chapter 24, we begin in verse 13. And behold, anytime you see the word behold, it means pay attention. So it means check this out, something cool is about to happen. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. So here we see that two disciples are traveling toward the village of Emmaus. It says they went that same day to this village. Two of them, it means those who were present for to hear the women's testimony, but they thought they're emotional. They were present to hear Peter's testimony that the tomb was indeed empty, but he didn't know what to make of it. So these two disciples were there for all those things, but it says they went, which means they were traveling. It's in the imperfect tense. There's going to be so many imperfects here because Jesus is going to wreck all their plans. Imperfect means you were planning to do something, you were moving in that doing of something, and all of a sudden everything changes. So these guys had made plans long before even the cross occurred to travel to Emmaus after Passover, and they're en route to do that. But something's going to interrupt them. We'll get to that later. Emmaus was, it says from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. A furlong, three score furlongs would be 60 stadia. Stadia is about 600 feet, so this is about seven miles from Jerusalem to the north. While they're walking there, it says they talked together of all these things which had happened. The word happened there refers to multiple events interconnecting. So this doesn't just refer to what happened with Jesus, but it refers to both the disappointment of Jesus' death and the surprising testimony of the women. They're going back and forth dialoguing about this, trying to figure out what's going on. Despite Jesus' words to prepare them for the pain of the cross and his sure resurrection from the dead, and in addition to Jesus' words, the women's confirmation of those words, these guys are still moving forward as if nothing's changed until something happens. 
And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. The word there for commune and reason, it means to have back and forth dialogue. Usually refers to when two people have different perspectives on things. I don't think it's that they disagreed. I don't think one of them's going, well, I think we should trust the women. I don't think we should. Those women are crazy. I don't think that's what they were going back and forth on. I think they just didn't know how to figure it out. Like, anybody here have kids? If, if you're a parent, you have lots of these discussions. What did my son do? Why did he do that? I don't know. It's your son. Well, maybe, no, I know that's not it. Are you sure? I mean, this is the type of conversation that's going on here. It's a situation where something happens and they don't know what to make of it. So they're just throwing out ideas and no, I don't think that's it. They're throwing out ideas trying to figure this out. And while that's going on, Jesus just kind of strolls right up next to him. Usually people did not walk alone back then. Uh, They did not travel alone. You always traveled in groups, big groups, and so usually caravans. And so Jesus was just part of the group there. So there's nothing special if a guy comes and he starts walking where you're walking. Jesus comes, and I love it here because it says he went with them, but that's also imperfect. He didn't just walk with them forever. He does for a little while. He walks with them quietly for a little while, but his His plans are to completely blow up their plans. And isn't that how the Lord works? When I'm perfectly happy, enjoying my misery, going forward in my self-will and unbelief, up walks Jesus to interrupt me. Does it all the time. Here I am, you know, and everybody's, Will, you're grumpy. I'm not grumpy. Have you spent time with the Lord? I will eventually. And you just, you know, I'm fine. I'm going to go about my day. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to be a parent. I'm going to be a husband. I'm going to do my day. And there I am in my self-will, my unbelief, and my misery. And what happens? All of a sudden, I see my Bible. And it starts talking to me. (laughs) Kind of like Alice in Wonderland. Read me. I don't want to read you right now. I'm fine. But the Lord, that's the way he is. I'm really glad the Lord doesn't just let me go on to a mess when I'm like that. I'm glad he's not intimidated when I ignore his word and I do my own thing. Aren't you? I'm glad he calls out to me because it's in those times when I can actually sit down with him and he can expose my heart and get me on track. I can find real life, not what I'm trying to live. Now, I don't have a clue about any of his plans, though, because they don't even recognize him. It says they, he went with them, but their eyes were holden that they should not know, which means to recognize him. They should not recognize him. Now, what's interesting, that phrase, we're holding, it's, it's a weird word. It means to cause a condition to continue. In other words, there was a condition that already existed. So to cause a condition to continue on, that, on the basis that you have the authority or power to enforce that condition. Now, Jesus is God. He can do whatever he wants. But he's not just all of a sudden going, I'm going to walk up and look like some other person. In fact, Jesus didn't look like another person. He looked like Jesus. He looked exactly like him. But they're not expecting to see Jesus because in their mind, he's dead. You don't see dead people walking around anymore. So they look over and they might think, oh, he looks familiar. They didn't expect to find Jesus there because he's dead. So because that's in their mind, Jesus comes alongside and he goes, I'm going to kind of strengthen that thought a little bit so they don't recognize me just by sight. That's important here. They don't recognize me just by sight. And they don't keep looking over and go, that guy looks really familiar. That's what he does. So he strengthens a belief that's already there, okay? He doesn't blind them just to blind them. They believe Jesus to be dead for good. And so the Lord caused that belief to be strengthened so they wouldn't recognize him. Now, why did Jesus do that? Because they needed to understand what the scripture said about him so that their faith 
would be more than just something based on sight or an emotional reaction. While he pulls up alongside, he walks for a while. Eventually, Jesus speaks, verse 17. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, Luke throws him him under the bus. We don't get the other guy's name. He answering said unto him, Are you only a stranger in Jerusalem and have not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? Cleopas is forever immortalized. His only words in Scripture are the fact that he called Jesus out as, Are you, are you blind? Are, are, are you an idiot? Do you not know what's going on in Jerusalem? The phrase there, are you only a stranger, means, Are you the only pilgrim to Jerusalem during Passover who has no clue what's going on? A little raw right now. I don't think that's why he names Cleopas here. He names him because he was still alive, very likely, and could confirm the story. That's probably why he names him, because Luke writes his gospel, he says to us, to show us that we have a reliable faith. Saying, I I quote Cleopas here, because you can go ask him. He's the one who told me about this occurrence. Now, we got to get back to Jesus' question here. He says, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk? It literally means, what are these words and exchange of ideas you're having as you walk? And why are you so sad? You know, the word sad means gloomy or discouraged. There's, there's a couple of things that might be going on here. I mean, it, one thing is, is Jesus kind of playing coy? You know, he's listening to him and he's like, what are you guys talking about? He could be doing that. Or it's possible that Jesus' question is a sincere one based on the fact that the woman confirmed his resurrection just a few hours earlier. Why are you all so sad? And what are you all having this conversation for when Jesus knows the women have already told him what's going on? It's possible that that is a genuine question of his. And I find it more likely that Jesus is doing that. Why are you having this discussion? Why are you so gloomy after the good news you've received? And so Cleopas, he says, Even foreigners know what's happened in Jerusalem the last few days. You must be the only pilgrim in Jerusalem who doesn't. What are you talking about? But Jesus says unto them, what things? Now, when Jesus asks the question, what things, surely he must be thinking about his resurrection and the women's testimony that those two things should be included in these things. What things? He wants to hear it from their lips. They need to speak it. And so they said unto him, well, we'll give you the facts. Before we give you our, our own personal thoughts, we'll give you the facts. Well, they said him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which literally there's an untranslated plural the before the word concerning. So it should be the things in relation to Jesus of Nazareth. What things? The things about Jesus, man. Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and they have crucified him. They give him the facts about Jesus. Jesus was a mighty prophet. That's a correct explanation of who Jesus is, even if it's incomplete, it's true, and how the people killed him. Also a a correct explanation of what happened to Jesus, yet also incomplete, which is what explains the problem here. Jesus isn't just a prophet. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. Jesus didn't just die. He rose from the dead. And this is why they're sad. Jesus was more than just a mighty prophet to them. He was more than just a good guy who died. He was their master. They were his followers. Look at verse 21. But we trusted. These are the facts about Jesus. Why are are we sad? Because we trusted 
that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. They confess here their disappointment about Jesus. We trusted, it's, it's the word there means to place one's hope in, and again, it's in the imperfect, which means they're not trusting now. It means we were hoping all the while, we were trusting all the while, we were expecting all the while that it was he, he was the one that it was to liberate Israel from slavery. He was the one. We weren't just witness to a good guy's death. We were his followers. We believed in him, but we were wrong. We were wrong. And that was the major disappointment. We thought we were the generation that would experience Israel's return to glory, that would experience all the promises of God. But it's clear now that we're not. We're not. It's not that they didn't believe that the Messiah would come eventually. It's not that they didn't believe God's promises. But they didn't believe they would happen in their time anymore. And Proverbs 13, 12 tells us that hope deferred, it says it makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. The word deferred means postponed, and the word sick means to experience grief. When your hopes, your expectations, the things you're looking for are postponed, where they're not going to happen now, they're not going to maybe even happen soon, it causes you to experience grief. It causes you to begin grieving. And so that's what they're going through right now. They're grieving because their hopes were disappointed. Their hopes were postponed. And they said, beside all this, to add to all this grief and disappointment, it's only three days since this happened. The grief is still so very fresh. That's why we're so sad. Now, that might explain the sadness, but it doesn't explain the back and forth dialogue. So they have another confession to make. They not only confess their disappointment about Jesus to Jesus, but they confess their unbelief concerning Jesus to Jesus. Look at verse 22. Yea, and certain women also of our company, they made us astonished, which were early at the tomb. And when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said he was alive. And certain of them, which were with us, went to the the sepulcher, the tomb, and they found it even so as the women had said, but they didn't see him. Nobody saw him. The word there, yea, means on the other hand. I mean, we, all our hopes are disappointed, but then on the other hand, something crazy happened today. Certain women who are also of our company, I mean, these are people we've lived with the last three, three and a half years. We've, we've served with. We've changed people's lives with. We've listened to Jesus teach together. We've traveled together. I mean, these are, these are people that are close to us. They came and they made us astonished. The word there means to, to shock someone, so, to, to be so shocked that you don't know how to think or respond. What they said to us, what they, what they told us, it just blew our minds so much that we don't even know what to think or do. And what was it? Because they went early at the tomb and they didn't find the body there. They told us that angels had said that he was alive. It's crazy though. And even certain of those with us, other disciples, other guys that we trust, they went to the tomb and they found it just like the women said, but here's the problem. They didn't see him. They didn't see him. The fact that the women who they knew closely told them they, what the angel said, and the disciples that went to the tomb, Peter and John, found it exactly as they described, that should have been enough. But it wasn't because the problem was no one saw Jesus. Actually, that's not the problem. 
the problem is that seeing Jesus alive mattered more than Jesus' promise that he would be alive. That's the problem. That is why Jesus rebukes them so heavily when they're done explaining. Verse 25. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? I would say that most of us would tell Jesus he has very bad bedside manner. Seriously. They've already confessed we're grieving. Why are we sad? It's raw, man. It's still raw. And how does Jesus reply? Oh, it's all right. No, he goes, dummy heads? Not exactly that. There's two reasons that Jesus rebukes them. Number one, he calls them fools. The reason he rebukes them is because he rejected his words. The word fool here means someone who is unwilling to use their mental faculties in order to understand something. It's not that you can't understand it. It's not that you don't have the capability to understand it. It's that you won't take the time to understand it. This was not a complicated issue. Jesus had said time and time again, hey, we're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed, handed over to, to sinful men. They're going to beat him, mock him. They're going to take him, to, hold him, take him into the hands of the Gentiles, and he's going to be killed. And he's going to rise the third day. Not new information for them. They were willingly choosing not to believe those words. They rejected them. This word, though, is even stronger than just not willing to use your mental faculties. Vincent, the great linguist, he said, it indicates a folly which is the outgrowth of a moral defect. It's an unwillingness to do this because there's a, you have a moral flaw. A moral flaw. Unbelief. See, they were unwilling to put the proper weight on Jesus' words that Jesus' words deserved. And instead, they put more weight on what could be seen. Now, you might be thinking, going, that sounds like a good idea to me. That doesn't sound foolish. You know, why should I believe in something I can't see? But that's common sense. Why should I put my trust in something I can't see? Because when something proves itself to be trustworthy, you don't need to see it. And can I suggest to you that we live our entire lives that way, except when it comes to God? Seriously. I got in a mobile death trap this morning. I have no clue how the thing operates, literally. I mean, I know the wheels on the bus go round and round, but I have no clue all the details and all the parts, how they work, all right? I have decided to take this mobile death machine onto the most dangerous highway in all of the United States. I did that this morning. Why would I do an insane thing like that? Because... The car, the vehicle, the motor vehicle has proven over time that it is very reliable in these situations, that it will respond correctly to me when I use all of its gadgets. So that even though I'm on a dangerous road, it has construction everywhere and crazy people on it. I know that when I hit the brakes, it, it will probably stop, that the wheel will get me where I, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it feels like a safe venture because the vehicle is trustworthy. Another is, I hate flying, all right? Absolutely hate flying. Because I am fully aware, as I'm sitting in, strapped in, required by law to strap in this very tiny space that just below where my feet are is nothing. <laughs> nothing. That if you remove everything that's surrounding me, I will plummet. If you're flying, God bless you. 
anytime soon. But I hate it because I'm very aware of that. I have a very clear mental image of it. But I do it. Why? Because the airplane has proven over time to be trustworthy. That generally speaking, these things arrive at their destinations, get their passengers there safely, and you do what you need to do. I have no clue what is in toothpaste. All I know is I take a concoction from a container that I really don't even know what's inside of it. I don't examine it well before I open it. I squeeze it onto this thing and then put it in my mouth. I don't know what's in body wash. I don't know what's in shampoo. All I know is that if I don't use it, I will lose friends. (laughs) And thus far, both the toothpaste and the other toiletries have proven successful over time. That when I use them, it's good, and when I don't, it's not. So I don't need to know all the inner workings of every little detail of, of everything to trust something. I don't need to be able to see. You say, yeah, well, Pastor, well, that's fine, but there are people who develop these things who do know all the details of this, and they do see. Funny how that works, isn't it? That God gave us all of this that he designed and developed for us to see so that we can go, hey, this whole universe thing works pretty well. Think about it just for a minute. We are on a chunk of rock that is moving throughout space (laughs) at, at a speed you never want to travel around a flaming fireball that if it gets any closer, any farther away by just a small smidgen, we all die. If you were to sell that to me and say, would you like to go on this trip? I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to pass. But we do it. Why? Well, it just kind of works. Whoever designed it appears to know what he's doing. So why do we make it different with God? Let me ask you a question about these disciples. What reason did they have not to believe that what Jesus predicted would come true? Had he ever lied to him? I mean, what about everything else he said? What did he say to us? Said he'd be, he'd be betrayed. Yeah, that happened. Uh, he, he'd be arrested. That happened too. He'd be mocked. That happened. He was beaten. He was turned over to sinful men. He was handed over to the Gentiles. He was not just dead, but crucified. A guy who would never have qualified for a crucifixion sentence was crucified. So far, everything Jesus said came 100% true. What reason do they have to believe that the very last point that he'll rise from the dead won't. Had Jesus ever lied to them before? You say, well, yeah, Pastor Will, but I mean, up to that point, it's something we could see naturally happening. Rising from the dead is a miracle. (laughs) Had they never seen any of those? Had they never seen Jesus do any of those? Have you never seen Jesus do any of those? I have. To reject what Jesus said to them about his resurrection is both a mental and a moral failure on their part. It's a willingness to not do the most reasonable thing. Foolish indeed. But that's not their only failure. Jesus rebukes them because they rejected his words, but he also rebukes them because they rejected the rest of God's words, the prophets. And he says, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. The word believe means to regard something as worthy of trust. They were slow of heart to regard the prophets as worthy of trust. 
They weren't slow of ears. They'd heard the scriptures about the Messiah's suffering their entire lives. Their failure was that like with Jesus' words, they didn't believe the prophet's words were worthy to be trusted. They had never taken them to heart and thought, well, what do we do about that? The prophet said Messiah would suffer. What do we do about that? We don't want to think about that. We're, we're going to think about all the parts that says Messiah's going to reign. He's going to reign and rule and restore Israel. That's what we want to think about. How could have they prepared better? Or how about asking the question, since I believe Jesus is the Messiah, all my hopes there, how should I prepare for his suffering? And if they were to ask that question, they would say, well, let's look at what the scriptures say about it and act accordingly. Verse 26, ought not Christ to have suffered these things? Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? You should have prepared for my suffering by recognizing that's part of the plan and therefore that I couldn't suffer an end, but I'd have to rise from the dead because I'm going to reign. They could have reminded themselves that he had to do both. And the only way that would be possible is if Jesus came back from the dead. So you know what? That's what I'm going to look for. Because he can't die and stay dead and reign. So I'm going to look for Jesus to be alive again somehow. I don't know how, but I'm going to look for that. So these are two serious failures, ignoring Jesus and ignoring the rest of God's prophets. (laughs) It's kind of difficult to claim to be a believer if that's your practical theology, isn't it? Like, how do you claim to be an... Yeah, I'm a Christian. I ignore Jesus and everything else that God says. I mean, it's kind of hard to put the two together, right? That's an oxymoron. So, I mean, this is why Jesus hits them so bluntly. You might be saying, Pastor, well, that's... Kind of describes my life a lot. I, I do ignore the Lord a lot. I ignore his word. I ignore Jesus. And I do my own thing a lot. Well, here's the good news. Jesus doesn't just rebuke them and, and then leave. He doesn't go, yeah, now we're at Emmaus. I'm, yeah, I'm going to leave you guys here. I'm going on to the next town, losers. He doesn't do that. He doesn't leave because they're off track. He teaches them so they can get back on track. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.